the joke that my daughter's told me is not funny. But I think it's cute. So this is my nod to the day. So the mother mouse and the baby mouse are walking across a park and a cat comes bounding towards them. And the mother mouse turns to the cat and says, bark. And the cat turns and runs away. And the mother mouse turns to the baby mouse and says, and that's why we have to learn a foreign language. <laughs> Bonus, it worked. We were both concerned I'd just get a sympathy laugh. <laughs> Nurture within the walls. I think nurture is a beautiful word. It's a very thorough word. It speaks of nourishment. It speaks of instruction and training. And it speaks of discipline. And I realise that riotous fun within the walls might have been more appealing, but less beneficial. We're going with nurture within the walls. Um, this room, and I think the setup that Charlie and the worship team and um, everything that um, Josh prayed and everything he said and every weight that we've had here this morning uh, really does exemplify what this room should be, what it can be. Um, it's called many different things. Um, it's a gathering. It's, um, there's a church in Nashville actually pioneered by Australians called The Belonging Company. Um, it's a place of connection. It's a collection of people. King James talks about the household of faith. Um, New translations talk about the family of believers, the family of faith. The sign outside, the sign outside tells everybody that we're a church. And I like all of those words, but I probably will drift back to my favourite, which is just that we're a fellowship. And uh, the fact that the world understands that word. It might be a bit of an old time word, but I think it's still a really beautiful, rich word. We could also use the word tribe. Uh, there were 12 tribes. God set us up in tribes. So it's okay to also have a tribal feel. Um, so what it can look like varies all over the world. So I found a few pictures. It can look like that, um, nurture within the walls. And just don't let my mouth say the words, how do you nurture that lot? Um, I just can't even say those words. Um, it can look like a place where there aren't many walls. Um, it can look like a place where there are no walls at all. Um, it can look like a place where the walls are a safe refuge from persecution in times gone by and the same kind of place from refuge as a refuge from persecution today. But one way or another, that gathering, that collective, uh, that fellowship, um, somewhere within that, there has to be a sense of nurture and that's where I'm going to this morning. I want to start with a few generalisations, a few assumptions um, that our, well, I feel, I hope I'm not delusional, I feel I'm fellowship, I'm friendship rich. So if I'm friendship rich, let's say I am, what's this? Because most of my friends aren't here. My heart friends, my life friends. I've got a friend I've had since birth and she's still very dear to me. Um, I've got friends for 40 years, 10 years, 20 years, but they're not here. So if that's my story, is that your story? Um, you've got your friends and you've got your fellowship and they don't necessarily cross over. 
it may be that some people here feel that they are don't have good friends. There's just life has led you in a way that means you actually have landed here without a lot of friends and you're hoping you'll find heart friends in the fellowship. Um, and if that is the case, I dearly trust that happens. There may also be people here who, again, because of the story of life, you are willing to come and have a corporate experience of worship and leave without needing or wanting to create friends out of this place. And that's going to be all right as well. So as I say, a lot of generalisations, a lot of assumptions in there, but the idea behind them is friendships and fellowship may not be the same thing for most of us, which leads me to say this, that if we are significantly nurtured by our friendships outside of this gathering, what on earth is this gathering meant to be? That's, I think, a good question. Now, there are some obvious answers to that, which we've experienced this morning. It's a place where we can have a sense of corporate worship. It's a place where we uh, receive the teaching of the word. I've always loved the phrase in King James, which comes out of Ephesians 5.26, where it talks about being washed by the water of the word. You know, some Sundays you go home and somebody says, what did he preach about? And you go, I've got no idea, but I know it was good. Um, <laughs> on those Sundays, you can say, I've been washed by the water of the word. Something has happened inside of me and it hasn't perhaps remained as a cognitive understanding but I feel better, I feel cleansed by the word. So that happens here. Another thing that happens here would be prayer on many, many levels. And I think the other thing that an environment like this is meant to provide, and it's a phrase that, I, if you've never heard it before, it can sound funny, it's not meant to be, but it's a delivery of spiritual goods and services. So you can have your babies dedicated here and you can, somebody can marry you here. Uh, so the journey of life can be taken care of by this um, corporate gathering. But it is meant to be more than that. That's all good. But it is meant to be more than that. And I think we know it. I think something inside of us goes, I've got a yearning. I don't know how to put it into words but I want more than just somewhere to go, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. What? That's a good thought. Here's my penny in the plate. God bless you. And we go home. You want to have a sense that something else has taken place. And I suggest to you that it's a mystery. It's a wonderful, mystical thing. And I'm going to put it to you that it's a sense of belonging. Um, I have a friend in New Zealand, a pastoring for many years, pastored a church there, and uh, I'd done quite a bit of work in his church, and he said to me one day, this is now going back some years, um, he said, I've got such a, now, just to explain him, he's one of those people who's an overthinker who overthinks his overthinking, but he said to me, all of this business about welcoming people, he said, it worries me, what if we welcome them so well they come back? <laughs> because he was saying, what, what are we as a community of believers? And if people come back, what will they find? Will they find that sense of belonging? Um, the best illustration I have uh, goes back to the end of um, um, 2017. 
So uh, that was before I joined this fellowship. I was working in Uzbekistan, and we were there's a, uh, the church is persecuted, so there's quite a lot of um, limitations around the way you can gather together. So we were in a mountain area, and we had to stay in a lodge, um, which was really quite glamorous and Western and wonderful because we were tourists and we were hiking through the mountains. Now, fair go. Take one look at me. <laughs> <laughs> there was never going to be what we could call an authentic representation of a mountain climber here. But nonetheless, <laughs> we, we had to put on trousers and, and, and boots and sit in a taxi and not say a word and get deposited at a certain place and then disappear um, into a, another building where we went into a room, a side room, and then, you know, had to, because of the, um, the, the practices and the habits, we had to take off our trousers and put on a skirt and then go into a room where the doors were shut, the windows were shut, the curtains were drawn and we spent three days with these women and it was absolutely wonderful, hot and humid and wonderful. And then at the end of the evening we would put on our mountain gear again and go back to where we were staying. Um, so that's just a little background to it that might or might not be interesting. Um, so when uh, what I've learned in these environments is there'll always be people who speak English aside from the translators and they will get make themselves known to you early on, which is actually a really lovely thing because it means that you can hit an environment, not exhaust the translators and, and begin that process of creating relationship. There were about 30 women from the mountain areas in this room. So this one woman quickly made herself known to me and we were able to have a good conversation. But early on, she let me know that she actually wasn't that happy to be there with these women because they belong to Christian groups where there is faulty doctrine. So straight off on the inside, I can't wait for the next three days because I know God's going to get her because I hate that religious spirit and I just know God's going after it. So I start to giggle on the inside because I'm about to have a really good time with her. <laughs> so, um, so the next day there was something happened and she you know, let out all of her feelings about everybody and it, was, it became very clear that God was going to get her and get her as publicly as her um, attitude was being displayed. Um, these things tend to happen. Well, as time went by and she started, she was highly intelligent and she started to pick that I was kind of, you know, letting her know how I felt about some things like, you know, how does it feel to be so right? Mm. And, and she started to do, like she's going at me. Well, on the last morning there was a foot washing and um, she was taking quite a lot of the key people off to one side to explain to them how unbiblical and wrong it was and then coming back in to discover how people were having actually an amazing encounter with God. So about an hour into the foot washing I see her disappear to get a basin to come out to find the most amazing leader by her estimation. She's going to wash the feet because, you know, she can't be outdone. Um, so I just walked over and I said, you know what, there's only one condition to this moment, that when you've finished washing her feet, you let her wash yours. Um, <laughs> but God was working his work. And at the end of those three days when there was a testimony time, this precious, precious woman that Jesus died for and loves very much, she is with tears rolling down her face, asking forgiveness of every woman in the room and finished by saying, 
what we have to be able to say, which is, I need you. I need you. And just on that needing and perhaps relating it a little bit to the way of the exile, um, I thought about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who were thrown into the furnace and then Christ joined them in that furnace. I'm sure Shadrach would have gone on his own. And I know there are times when the heat of life is huge and it's us walking it out with the Lord. I know that. But oh, to have somebody to walk it out with us. Shadrach had a Meshach. Shadrach and Meshach had an Abednego. They didn't have to go through the heat of life on their own. And that's another place where we can receive this mystery, this mystical thing in fellowship of a sense of, I'm not complete without you. I need you. 1 Corinthians 12 refers to the harmonious functioning of the human body. And it describes the ludicrous situation whereby one part of my body or your body says to another part of our body, I don't need you. Now, the last I researched, and it's a joke, I never researched this at all, there's only one part of our body we don't need, which is our appendix, isn't that it? So every part of our body can hone in on the old appendix, but for the rest of us, it better be, I need you. To function well, I need you. And um, there's a lovely little uh, phrase, um, uh, Old Testament language is, you do not want to say to your brother, I have no need of thee. We've got to have a sense of something. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary to look into the face of another believer and say, I need you. I can't do this journey of life without you. To be thorough, there might be times when that even feels a little bit like a lie um, because there are people who are happily self-contained, genuinely. You're genuinely good on your own. You're genuinely quite self-contained. Um, to some degree, I have some of that in me. I can be on my own for days and, be, and feel okay, not feel like, oh, you know, I've got to find somebody to hug. I'm quite okay, and I think God put that into me because of the amount of um, ministry travel that I've needed to do for so long. I'm okay on my own. So if you're identifying with what I've just said, can I encourage you with this? Choose to need. Choose to need. When we turn up here, let it be with an attitude of, I choose to need. And then, I choose to be needed. On the 29th of March, Josh encouraged us, and I wrote them down, I thought they were so good. He encouraged us to take up authenticity, to serve a cause bigger than ourselves, to enlarge God's tribe, to give hospitality to those in need, and to work for shalom in the world. And I just think that is the most nurturing list. Isn't that amazing? For us as a people, listen to the one more time, to take up authenticity, to serve a cause bigger than ourselves, to enlarge God's tribe, to give hospitality to those in need and to work for shalom in the world. Like, 
That is quite delicious. And then Clem, when he preached on the 7th of April, he included a sentence that impacted me greatly. Clem, I think that was probably about the most magnificent message or description of hospitality I have ever heard. So I was writing madly, and then you said this, which was like, whoa, you said, when you are a guest, be host-dependent. And then you used the word vulnerable. And I think I wrote down content. I don't know if that was a, your word or whether it was my bad handwriting, but that's what it looked like anyway. When you are a guest, be host dependent. Now, the relevance obviously is for us when we go into each other's homes. Uh, but what if it relates to each one of us as we take our place inside these walls? What if we take a posture of a host? in this gathering and then each choose to feel dependent on another's hosting of us. It was a great sentence and it impacted me greatly as you can tell. So all of that really is introductory to move us to some scriptures that I hope are going to provide us with a good solid biblical framework for the gathering and for nurture within the walls. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 6, and um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Now, we're not going to read this with a bunker mentality because we're identifying as exiles, but rather, let's read it through the eyes of people who are choosing to gather and choosing to display a willingness to be needed. Um, and But the other thing that's really important to say is um, this is not a message for the leaders of the church. It's not a message for the pastors. When we read these 10 verses, it's not like our shopping list and they better shape up, guys, provide. It's not that at all. It's for us, the people. Paul wrote this to the churches in Galatia. It wasn't to the leaders in Galatia. It was to the church. So these are us verses. Now, that's, that's really squibby, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, never mind. Let's read it anyway. So, from the New Living Translation, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. Now, also, I'm going to just quickly say, I'm not going to teach every single verse. Most of it would be blinding flashes of the obvious. We'll just dip into a couple. But first, let's read it and get a framework. Dear brothers and sisters... If any believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself you're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Because, oh, there it is. Um, don't be misled. 
no, I'm sorry, six down here. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Very good. And as I say, a lot of it is so obvious it doesn't need commentary and I don't think can be um, enlarged on in any way that we need for nurture within the walls. So I want to go to verses 2 and 3 straight away. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. This is very important to understand. Um, and, and as for the other ways that Paul's original language has been translated, um, you're not that important. That is so cool. I found, I found a, um, a quote by a man called, I don't know who he is, but his name's Ralph Drollinger of Capital Ministries, which is intentionally aimed at public servants in Washington. And this is how he has written that. Avoid thinking of others as oxygen deficient climbers from your summit perch. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, public servants in Washington, probably beautifully expressed. Um, okay, what you need to understand about is this word burden. It's not actually you know, my grass is overgrown, my lawnmower's broken, can you come and mow my grass? It's not that. A better word, and it's a clumsy word, but a better word is burdensomeness. Bear one another's burdensomeness. And if we do that, we're on our way towards fulfilling this nurturing environment. And um, please understand, and if you're new to this church or you haven't been walking with the Lord for a long time, there's no perfect person here. There's just a whole lot of people on their way to becoming everything that God intends them to be. So and there are times in that journey where we will be high maintenance. You need to understand that. There are times when what you've got to do is bear the fact that I'm actually burdensome to you. Um, and uh, ditto, back to you. So what we're saying is, please accept who I am and please accept who I'm not when we come together. Please don't have an expectation of me that's beyond anything that I can fulfil. Uh, please accept who I am, please accept who I'm not. Uh, here's another way of saying it. Please help me learn who I am and then learn who I don't have to be to make you happy. Yeah, please learn, help me learn who I am and then who I don't have to be to make you happy. Bear with one another's burdensomeness. The fact of the matter is that nurture happens or fellowship happens within these walls when there's an acceptance of this. And... Um, Remember years ago, a friend of mine, uh, it, this is in another city, um, Ray and I lived uh, in Canberra for five years. 
and uh, in the church we attended there, there was a woman who was burdensome. And uh, some people cared for her, and these were older people in the church who were so saintly. And I said to them one day, how do you do this? And the wife said, we just look upon her as our beloved burden. I thought, well, now that's encouraging. So at any point, I am your beloved burden. I know you'll pull that off. <laughs> Bear with one another's burdensomeness. And here's the heavy phrase that I don't understand fully. When we do that, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Wow. I want to dip into verses 4 and 5 for a moment. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. My mentor, the late Dr. Lois Burkett, taught me this, that comparisons drive us to, com to compete or become complacent. Isn't that interesting? Comparisons will suck the life out of any sense of fellowship. Um, and if, if I'm to be absolutely honest, I don't think we can help ourselves in this thing of comparison. Um, we just do. It's like, a, it's like an intuitive fallback. You know, you walk into a room and who are all of you and where am I in relation to all of you? Um, and what I want to say to you, and this is my exercise, I put energy into this, that when I'm tempted to do that, I've got to watch the narrative that lands up here. And if, dear God, on the rare occasion it makes me feel smug, I need to know that I've got to do something about that. How can we have fellowship if we come together with a vague sense of smugness? Now, what I will say to you is there are times when you're watching a tableau, I'm sure, I hope I'm not the only one who does this, where you watch it happen and what you have as your internal narrative is, well, <laughs> I just feel a whole lot better about myself. <laughs> But when that happens, I've got to remind myself that there are times when others are looking at me saying exactly the same thing. <laughs> Comparisons. I don't know if, it's, if men have a problem with that. No. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I noticed that you just said that you don't, but I do, and I'd call that a comparison. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a real big thing for women, um, comparing our body shapes, comparing our appearance, um, comparing our, you know, the, the, the children thing. Um, and I think the community of believers has to be intensely kind. We don't know each other's story fully. We don't know each other's story well enough to actually have earned the right to compare. That'll do. Then it says um, in, I, I'm, I'm not going to speak into verses 6, 7 and 8 because I think they are self-explanatory, but verse 10, therefore wherever we have the opportunity we should do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. And all I want to say about that is I love the humanity of scripture. As you have an opportunity, do good. It's not a rule. It's not mandatory. We're not going to go to hell if we don't. It's if you have the opportunity. And it reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verse 8, where it says, and I've got the old King James Version because it's delicious. 
if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. In other words, we understand there's a lot of people out there and it's not possible to like them, but if at all possible, do this. Or in Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavour to keep the unity of the Spirit. Give it your best shot. I love the fact that our Lord understands the human condition and that a whole lot of successful fellowship comes about when we give it our best shot. So what I want to do is look at these scriptures again with some effort to define and describe fellowship, the reason why we should turn up with a posture of needing each other and willing to be needed. I think we've said before from here, aim to be a felt necessity. What on earth is that? So I've just gone through these same scriptures and I won't be reading them all again, um, just to some degree and yeah, I hope you can read that. So defining fellowship, not as a we must now become, but as a I think this is who we are. So, dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly and gentle should bring that person back. I think God is asking us or defining us as being people who are watchful and wise. Then it says, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help somebody, you're fooling yourself. We are to be engaged without ego. And then we're to pay careful attention to our work for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done and don't compare. We are to be industrious and not insecure. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. We are thoughtful and thankful. And then there are those verses that speak of sowing and reaping and then it says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At the right time we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up and I think we are consistent in consecration and wherever we have the opportunity, do good to everyone, we are other-minded. Our title for this special occasion Sunday is Nurture Within the Wall. So one more time and still asking ourselves, what is fellowship? Let's have a look at it like this. If another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. We are nurturing another in their journey of faith. We're to share each other's burdens and in this way we're to obey the law of Christ. We are nurturing another in their journey of life. We're to pay careful attention to our own work. We're not to compare. We're to take responsibility for ourselves. We are nurturing our own ethic. And we're to care for those who teach us the word. We are nurturing our leaders. And we're to sow and reap and not get tired of sowing and reaping. And I've seen this very much through the eyes of this amazing Cornerstone Kids program. Uh, what are we doing here to ensure that one day they're sitting here? So I've called that nurturing coming generations. And finally, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially the family of faith. And in that, we are nurturing the tribe. One more time, 
Why fellowship? And what is fellowship? We are watchful and wise as we nurture another in their journey of faith. We are engaged without ego as we nurture another in their journey of life. We're industrious and not insecure as we nurture our own ethic. We're thoughtful and thankful as we nurture our leaders. We're consistent in consecration as we nurture coming generations. And we're other-minded as we nurture the tribe. I began by saying that there's some differentiation for some of us between our friendship circle and our fellowship circle. And for sure, some of these points of nurture that we're talking about, that you're looking about, can be met by our friendship circle. I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm not trying to draw straight lines here. Um, but there is a nurturing that can take place here. There's a nurturing that can take place in community that you're probably not going to get meeting somebody else over a cup of coffee. It's wide-ranging. It draws on every joint supplying, every joint supplying. Sometimes if we don't understand fellowship, we're asking too much of our significant other or too much of that one other. We're asking them to be too much to us. They can't, but we can get it here. Every joint supplying. And as I came to the end of this preparation and loving this song that we're starting to sing that we will feast at the, in the house of Zion, I, looking at this again, I had a sense of this is a shadow of eternity. If we can get this, what takes place in this room, what takes place in this community of believers should be a foretaste of eternity. So I'm going to pray and then I've asked Charlie to lead us in that stunning song. I've been singing it a lot this week. There's a beautiful um, YouTube clip by the girl, who, the woman who wrote it, Sandra McCracken, that you can listen to. And I've let that nourish me as I've been preparing for this morning. That when we come together, and I love the fact that this year we're gathering around tables, you know, come the 19th, they probably won't ask me to cook anything, because um, that's not a joint that I supply. Um, <laughs> I didn't really need to say that, um, but I did. Um, be here. Come the 19th, let's be here. Let's be around the table. That's a strong theme for this year, and I do believe that God has intentionally put it into Graham and Josh's heart and Clem's heart because it's preparation for something else that God wants to do. It's not the end story. It's not the reason. It's helping us get to the reason. Um, so shall we pray and then stand and sing this glorious song together? Jesus, you're the head of a church and we get very muddled about what that should look like. But we want to be people who build what you're building. We want to be people who reflect that gathering, that fellowship well. And we know that distortions can so easily come because of the human factor. 
because of our misunderstandings of what it's meant to be like. And sometimes, God, it's more important for us to be right than in relationship, and we own that as a weakness, as a human weakness. We confess it to you. Help being right never remove us from the warmth of relationship and fellowship. Father, as we continue to journey, this is not a novice church, it's not a baby church, it's not a teenage church, it's a fully-fledged church of mature believers. It's a mature gathering. Just don't let us become an old gathering, Lord. Let there be a flow-through of fresh water all the time, a flow-through of new believers, people hungry to find you. Let it be a generational church, not just chronologically, but spiritually. Lord, I pray that the way we move forward will be a greater reflection of your embraceive heart than it's ever been. Thank you that that is the strong environment. It's a strong DNA thread in the life of Cornerstone, that it is embraceive. Lord, just strengthen that. Let that be one of our great distinctives. Lord, help us to do our best to authentically need each other and to be humble enough to let another need us and us need them. Let us not be ashamed of our neediness. Let us never feel arrogant that we don't have need. Lord, shift us from the carnal measures of comparison. Thank you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you with my whole heart that Charles saw something in his spirit and that I can stand here today because of that. Thank you for this community of believers whose arms are outstretched. Lord, I stretch my arms out too. Help us to be people who almost effortlessly learn how to nurture within these walls. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you like to stand and we'll see? We will feast in the house of... This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by Cornerstone. For further information about Cornerstone Christian Resources, please visit the